Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and I guide you gently through another show. Lovely sunny day in Brooklyn and Manhattan today. And we have a guest from our neighborhood as well, um, Diana Littman, who is uh, the CEO of MSL US. Diana, welcome to the show. I think you're in the office today, but you're a Brooklynite as well. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the PR Week. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, Frank. I am very much a Brooklynite, even though I am in Manhattan right now. Yeah, we'll talk about that because you're in the office and uh, we'll talk, obviously that's on top of everyone's mind. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting. And Frank Washcook is here, our executive editor. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. It's always a pleasure. Another busy yes. week at PR Week Towers. Lots to chat about. We'll, we'll uh, talk about BTS and Chipotle. It's torn up the internet, uh, especially social media. M&M's, their cartoon character rebrand, chat about that. We've got Damon Jones, the lead communicator at Procter & Gamble. He's going to be our chair of jury for the PR Week Global Awards. We're very pleased about that, and we'll chat about that. Um, Great analysis piece that Sabrina Sanchez did about women's health brands on social media and the challenges in in marketing and communicating. We'll chat about that. The CDC and travel FOMO. An activation, interesting activation, activist investors and Peloton, maybe a little chat about influencers and their their engagement with brands in light of Spotify, Neil Young, Peter Dinklage and Disney, etc. But let's start with you, Diana. Diana, you've been CEO of MSL US for over three years now. Um, incredible, actually. It, didn't, it doesn't feel that long. So how has it been going and how how far down the road of what you wanted to achieve when you took on that role do you think you are? Uh, it's a great question. It has just been over three years, so three years and two months now. Um, and it doesn't feel like that long, um, the majority of the time. And then sometimes it feels like it's been forever. Um, but I think, you know, COVID has changed all of our timelines in the way that we look at everything. And, um, and you know, we are in, we're in some sort of a warp speed situation right now. Um, listen, I mean, I came here um, at the very, very tail end of um, 2018. I spent my first year of 2019, um, you know, enacting a lot of changes at the agency. Um, and it was, it was kind of a, you know, a wild ride um, in many, many ways. Um, it, it was also a very good one. And one of the things that I wanted to do um, was to think about, you know, really what the culture of the agency was and, and what we were building in in a, um, a very intentional way. And my second year was 2020, um, you know, and we all moved into this COVID state and managing through COVID. And, you know, there's no silver lining that comes, um, you know, with COVID by any stretch of the imagination. But one of the things that I think that it has allowed 
us all to do is reevaluate the kind of businesses we want to be. Um, and for, you know, and, and from a CEO perspective, in all honesty, the kind of businesses that we want to lead. Um, so, you know, I took a lot of time um, to be very thoughtful within that, you know, within that time about the agency and our values and, and who we are and the kinds of relationships that we have with our team members um, and with our clients. Um, and, you know, our, my third year, which, you know, uh, was, was 2021 in full, was an extraordinary year for the agency, um, both from a business perspective, but also from a people perspective. Um, and, you know, really living um, and leaning into um, our agency values and, and who we are. So um, I, you know, as, as odd of a, you know, first three years of a CEO ship, um, this has been. Um, it has been an incredibly productive one. And I have achieved and we have achieved as an agency so much more than I ever would have imagined. Yeah, I can imagine it. it's been crazy for everyone, but especially if you're sort of leading an organization and, and trying to enact changes, and then you've just got to pivot quickly to... Yeah to meet the needs of the time. And one thing you did was kind of redefine MSL in the US, I suppose, mm -hmm. in that uh, it was uh, formerly, it would have had Kext and Corvus MSL under its aegis, and it would have been, been maybe a, a couple of hundred million or 150 million as, mm -hmm. a, as an agency. And you've kind of redefined it more as a mid-sized shop in the US, 60 million in 2020 revenues uh, around that figure. And it's still MSL. We still think of as a big global player because it is, and it it's, is. Yeah. It's, it's, you know own principal PR brand. It operates slightly differently to other holding companies. But uh, what was the thinking behind that, and how is that sort of? Do you feel like year three was when you really hit hit the hit the hit the ground running with that positioning, and it really was enacting what you'd, you you wanted to do when you first got there? Yeah, um, you know. I, I the, the the rationale behind that and the you know the reasoning behind that is really to allow for focus. Um, I I came here to you know build um, the MSL brand, uh, and you know that focus was important. So from the day that I you know arrived at the agency, my focus was on MSL. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, so looking at who we are as an entity, as a core entity was important. And, and part of that was, you know, being very clear um, with the marketplace about, you know, where we stand as an agency. I love a mid-sized agency um, and I love a mid-sized agency that has a big network surrounding it, um, whether it's the network that we have globally. We are a top 10 global firm um, and we're very firm in that and have great connectivity globally, um, but also the resources that we have because of publicists overall. Um, so, you know, we have the flexibility and the nimbleness of a mid-sized and we have all the resources of, you know, the extra large sized agencies. Um, and that's a really fun place to work in. It's also really a fun place, you know, and a fun foundation to grow from. Um, in terms of our positioning, um, you know, that's our positioning in the marketplace. But one of the things that I did not do was come in, um, you know, and change the agency positioning. And that was a really important decision for me. The agency had a tagline of influence and impact. Um, and that was positioning that I really liked. I mean, I believe um, in what we do as an industry. I believe that every brand um, 
can be more influential in the world and be a positive force of influence in the world. Um, and, you know, what I'm looking to build with MSL is really the most powerful influence engine for brands, companies, and leaders, because I think there's this intrinsic tie between, you know, the level of influence that you have and how you use your influence for good and the impact that you can have on the world and the people who you serve. Yeah, big themes that are played out in, in the industry overall as well. And t- talk us through a little bit the publicist interaction, the power of one strategy, which is the integrated strategy the holding company adopts. And it's been involved in some massive pitches over the last couple of years. And a few, quite a few have, have been successful. And how do you play into that in the, in the PR part of it, especially in the U.S. being the biggest PR market in the world? How does that work at Publicis and, and how different is that? Say you were at Omnicom before and WPP before that. How different is the Publicis offering, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, every, I, I adore working at Publicis. And I think that um, one of the things that we um, are very, very focused on is, um, you know, is it the highest level of client centricity across the board. So our entire network, um, the way that we operate in our business model is very much built with the client at the heart of it. Um, and that's because we're in a, you know, a client service, which I don't love to say, but, you know, a client leadership industry. Um, and, you know, the clients are our heart and soul. Also, of course, our bread and butter. Um, so, you know, I love the orientation towards the client. And I also love the orientation towards, you know, a full 360 integrated model. Um, more than 50% of our business um, is connected to Publicis, whether on, you know, full power of one teams um, in the U.S. at MSL or, um, you know, we have a connection point, um, you know, with another agency um, or two. And I, you know, I think the clients derive an enormous amount of value from integrated agency teams. And we at Publicis are very much built and oriented towards being the most seamless integrated um, teams, whether it's using data at the core or, you know, the creative ideas or how we execute and rally around an idea, um, uh, you know, or something that we're doing in the marketplace. Um, you know, we're all as a, you know, as an entity oriented around that. So, you know, there's not a lot of silos and there's a lot of working together. Um, and that's, you know, a beautiful thing for us and for our clients. For me personally, you know, I love that my peer set um, is a diverse um, group of leaders um, and, you know, and really understands the marketplace in a 360 way. So, you know, I've learned a ton from being here as well. I loved my time at Omnicom. I also worked at a WPP agency for 10 years, um, Conan Wolf, and I loved my time there too. Um, you know, it's, it's um, you know, a lot of this is really what you make of it and the network that you have and, and how you build. But Publicis has been extraordinary um, and a huge driver of growth uh, in terms of the business, but also the expansiveness of our thinking from a communications perspective. Yeah, you mentioned influence and impact, and we've seen great growth in the last couple of years in in lots of areas around that, including crisis, including purpose, including employee engagement, Mm -hmm. healthcare. What are the big drivers of your growth at MSL in, in in those particular sort of segments? Uh, you know, we've we've had growth in in all of those areas. I mean, MSL is a very strong agency uh, in the area of consumer marketing. 
Um, and that, you know, when, when, I, when I first arrived here and I looked at the breadth and the depth of our consumer business and, you know, our consumer brand building business, uh, you know, it was it was one of the most beautiful and pleasant surprises, um, you know, coming coming out of the agency. Um, we have a really interesting um, and, uh, you know, differentiated offering in the area of modern corporate reputation building. Uh, across the board, we have many clients who, you know, especially in COVID times right now, um, who, you know, who have uh, non-office workers and have done a huge amount of employee engagement work um, uh, in that space. And we actually have some uh, thought leadership um, and insights coming out in that area from some of that work that we've we've done looking at influences um, of employees who are out in the field versus not. Um, and, you know, we have a huge amount of work that we do in the influencer marketing space, um, obviously, with our fluency platform and through our fluency platform. Uh, and then healthcare has been a, um, a growth driver for us as well, just as it is for everybody. Um, and I think healthcare will continue to build up over time, especially given my experience in the space. Yeah, for sure. And just to sort of round out this part of the show, um, talk to us about this year, what you're thinking. We've had a fairly a quiet, not quiet, but, you know, Omicron <laughs> sort of threw us all yeah. through, through, a, through a curve again. And a lot of people have been back working from home. But it seems like February, people are starting to go back yeah. to the office. Some of the financial, especially in New York, JP Morgan and Citibank yes. employers have said, you know, that, yeah, time to come back. And some agencies are following suit. How do, you, how do you look at that? I know you personally like being in the office and you're calling in from the office today. How are you navigating that? And what, what do you expect to see in the coming 12 months? Obviously, yeah. given the proviso that nobody really knows what's around the corner these days. Yeah, thank you for that proviso. I think that's important. <laughs> um, as it turns out, I really like uh, walking to the subway, taking the subway, getting off the subway, walking from the subway to the office. There's like a ritual to that for me. Um, so I, you know, I, I never knew I, I liked that so much, even though as a born and bred Brooklynite New Yorker, the subway has been a huge part of my life and how I got to school, um, you know, growing up my entire life. But, um, you know, one of the reasons that I like being in the office is just the energy from being outside, um, and having a destination and also a little bit of having a, you know, an end of the day. Like there's, you know, there's a little bit of this moment of, oh, I'm leaving, um, even if, you know, even if, of course, our day's work is never done. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting. This is a good question for me because I, I knew coming in on December 31st, I said to myself and whoever I was around, um, I said, I don't think January is kind of going to be the start of our year. Um, January is almost going to be this continuation um, of 2020 because, you know, obviously we knew what the situation that we were in with Omicron. Um, so, 2021, you know, yeah. 2021, I'm sorry, you're right. <laughs> um, it all seems, I, I know what right, you mean. It's, right, it's 2021. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, to me, I felt almost like February 1st would feel a little bit more like the start of the year. And ironically, today, it's January 26th today, right? Um, yeah. Today, um, I, you know, we're having a, um, an all-agency New Year's celebration party. Um, as, as ironic as that is, and I was like, oh, this is happening a little late in January, but it kind of fits with the idea that, you know, January is this, is this continuation of, of last year. 
I like the fact that we've had this month, you know, we've been, we've been very busy. Um, you know, we're, we're finalizing plans with clients, you know, we're thinking about what the year ahead looks like, um, closing up, um, last year. And, you know, and I think, you know, come next week when we hit the turn of the month, um, there's going to be hopefully, I hope, you know, a bit of a different feeling and different energy, um, that we have, uh, you know, last year for us as an agency, um, we had a, we had a very very strong year. Um, it was a it was a very good year for us. Um, we're expecting more of the same. Um, we have you know an incredible client base. We have uh, you know a, a team that is full of enthusiasm and energy um, for the work that we're doing um, and for the potential that we have as an agency. So I'm optimistic for the year ahead. I, you know, I am hopeful uh, that, you know, the we'll always have curveballs. I mean, you know, we're, we're aware of that, but I'm hopeful for I'm hopeful for us as a society, as humanity. Um, and I, you know, I love the fact that our you know, we've all changed our orientation, um, you know, for for the kind of, you know, the kind again, like I said in the beginning, the kind of businesses that we want to lead um, and we can't lose that focus, too. Yeah, no, I'm really on board with that. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people had to cancel their holiday parties, don't they? So is, are you doing it at that party in person or is it? A oh, virtual? no, yeah, no. Yeah, you know, in, in, yeah, in December um, across the country, um, because we have offices in every country that we operate as a national entity, um, our teams got together uh, in a non-mandatory, completely voluntary way. So every office got together for a, you know, an end of year celebration. But we want to do something as a whole for the whole agency. Yeah. And that would happen virtually whether COVID existed or not, because yeah. it's the only way that we can do it. Well, enjoy that, and we Thank look you. forward to reading about your year in the Agency Business Report, and we also hope to see everyone at the PR Week Awards, big night on March 16th, which is in person in Manhattan. So hopefully that will be a massive reunion for the whole sector, and we're looking forward to that and seeing everyone again. So uh, thanks, Diana. Um, Frank, so let's talk about the big stories. BTS and Chipotle, it's been burning up social media this week. Uh, another of these great stories. Tell us all about it. Yeah, these these guys are gold for uh, any product they touch or any brand they associate themselves with. And uh, what happened over the weekend was that one of the members of BTS uh, was seen on video really chomping down Chipotle food, really enjoying it. But he got the name slightly wrong and called it Chipotle. Um, and so, you know, seeing this just just swell of social media interest that turned up. Uh, as a result from all of the, you know, the millions of fans they have around the world, um, Chipotle played along and changed their name uh, on their Twitter account to Chipotle. I think it still is as of today, which is Wednesday. So uh, number one, good for them for playing along and uh, not taking themselves too seriously. Uh, but it just goes to show, you know, any, any brand, any product associated with BTS just gets a swell of interest. Now, I, I'd love to know... Um, I'd love to know what the folks at McDonald's were thinking about this because they, <laughs> they had a meal partnership with BTS um, a few months ago. Now it's my understanding that that contract is over. Um, but you know, they, they did this big uh, production of a, of a BTS meal a couple of months ago and Chipotle kind of got all this attention for free. Uh, so I can imagine they probably were not too thrilled about seeing this. Yeah, Diana, that's the the influencer space is fascinating, yeah. isn't it? And it, one, it shows the power of, of mm -hmm. it. But also, if you, if you are sitting over at McDonald's and you've paid a massive fee to have a BTS 
linkage and then all of a sudden uh, a rival is getting a load of free publicity like this which is gold it must be a little frustrating like frank said i think mcdonald's did great work you know can do great work with them i think you know this is a this is a cultural moment um, and something that happened, you know, organically within culture. I think, you know, there's lots of there's lots of room um, when you think about working with partners um, and you think about, you know, um, creating influence across the board. Um, you know, I, I actually I don't know if you guys know, but um, in one of the videos, uh, one of the BTS videos, um, one of them takes a sip of milk and milk sales in the U.S. went up because <laughs> of it. Um, so, you know, these guys have incredible influence and, you know, a real army and a following behind them. Um, so, you know, they, they are gold. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have to follow what's happening in culture and, and you know, and, and, and that engagement, ha- you know, and some of that organic en- engagement, sometimes you just get that kind of an opportunity. Yeah, these, these fan armies online, and we're going to talk about that a bit later about because we saw Damon Albarn from Blur who criticizing mm-hmm. Taylor Swift this week, and uh, he that didn't end well for him. The Taylor's nope. army really could, sort of got onto him about that, and he was suggesting she didn't write her own songs. So you've got to be uh, – social media is so powerful, but it also can be a, a, a minefield. And uh, I guess Franklin, M&M said they sort of rebranded their – No, oh, the M&Ms. 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 You have rebranded them. I – I'm so loyal to Haymarket, Diana. That the, uh, you know, I'm trying to get our more publicity for our healthcare brand, MM&M. So, um, but hey, a special edition MM&M's, MM's. That would be easy to say as well, wouldn't it? Uh, five times fast. But Frank, tell us, tell us about this one and what, how they went about it. Yeah, full disclosure, this one creeps me out a bit. Um, so <laughs> M&M's updated uh, their, you know, their group of brand mascots and sort of modernized them, um, which is to say, you know, with with the one female one, she's no longer wearing heels. She's wearing sneakers now. And it's a, it's a more forward leaning, uh, less gender focused group of mascots. Um, now, according to Eminem, they uh, most of the feedback they have gotten uh, about this it has been positive. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the response on social media and in person has been positive. Uh, Tucker Carlson does not like it. He's, you know, I, I don't know. This whole discussion about, you know, sexualizing M&Ms is just not for me. It's a little weird, but um, he's not a big fan. But, you know, like they said, most of the changes uh, have been well received and they've been putting this out all across social media. And in the few hours after they put it on YouTube, it got more than 100,000 views. So uh, it's one of the most seen things they have done uh, in the past year as well. So I think good for them. You know, I think you got to update these things from time to time and, you know, it looks fine to me and not digging into it as much as some people are evidently. Yeah, well, if Tucker Carlson doesn't like it, that's another win-win, isn't it? Anyway, um, but yeah, the, the, the bigger thing here, I guess, Diana, is brand mascots and and ident- identities change over time, don't they? And they have to they have to modernise. And you must have been involved in a bunch of these over over the years. Um, what's your how do you how do you advise clients and brands on this? Because you can get if you get it wrong, it can really really mess with your brand, can't it? Oh, it absolutely can. Um, but I think that there's, you know, in, in, you know, in the past five years, there's, I think, a lot of opportunities for brands who have, you know, heritage brands who have very recognizable, 
um, mascots to do interesting things with them, um, you know, and, and, and to kind of push, push the envelope in places. I mean, this is a, this is kind of a, a rebrand, but it has, you know, a, a, you know, a very, an underlying message of inclusivity. Um, and I think it's a really interesting take on, you know, on the characters. I, for one, as a, you know, for those of you who know me, and this is just a podcast, so you can't see me, I have very red hair. So I'm, I'm really happy that the red M&M got to be a little bit nicer. I think that's fun. Um, and I'm ple- personally pleased about that. Um, but, you know, there is a, you know, there's a lot of things that brands have to do that are really serious. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of things that you can do that are playful. Um, and I love when we can combine those two things and create this intersection. Um, so, you know, I think this is a lot of fun. Um, and I think that brands who have very recognizable characters associated with them or mascots, you know, should all take a step back and think about, you know, what, what that represents and, and how you evolve, you know, for modern times and modern audiences. Yeah, for sure. That, that kind of brings us into the uh, yeah, we've seen brands like Uncle Ben's and Aunt Jemima's, you know, had to mm. rebrand because what what was culturally, well, I'm not even sure it was culturally acceptable back in the day, but it's time to change and you have to evolve. That came up again with uh, Peter Dinklage, didn't it? And he talking about Disney's uh, re- potential remake of Seven Dwarfs, um, Frank. And it's again, that brings in the influencer element, doesn't it? We saw... Uh, Neil Young basically saying to Spotify, if you continue to have Joe Rogan making certain claims that he considers to be, you know, anti-vax or misinformation, then I'm then you can take my music off of Spotify. And um, I, I mentioned Damon Albarn and Taylor Swift. So the, the whole influence nature to this is an interesting uh, layer on top of it, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. Um, so the first one, Disney is planning a live action remake of uh, Snow White which of course contains the, you know, traditionally contains the seven dwarfs and, um, you know, um, Peter Dinklage, who has a form of dwarfism, um, you know, talked about it on Mark Maron's podcast. And I I think I I agree with him. I I don't know that something like this is really salvageable and you can take these characters and make them into something, you know, more modern and acceptable. Now it looks like Disney's going to try, but I think a lot of these old productions uh, you know they just sort of have to be retired whether it's this or you know a song of the south and there are you know some elements to you know dumbo that are problematic as well you know there are there are a lot of these things that just sort of need to be retired whether it's the character or the, or the, the language in general yeah or mm-hmm. the language yeah mm-hmm. i think yeah. some of this stuff is just from a different era um and i think look he brings he brings he's a very thoughtful guy and he brings up a, a great point about this um was the second one you mentioned spotify That's spotify and neil young yeah yeah it's a different type of thing but it's a it's around celebrity influence isn't it it is. And I think the question is, and I, I think we know from having covered this, just just what a you know huge amount of listeners Joe Rogan has. And it's it's sort of a clout battle, isn't it, to see just how much clout Neil Young still has, uh, how much Spotify cares if he wants all of his music, you know, p- pulled out streaming. By the way, this isn't the first time he has um Want, you know, wandered or threatened to have his music pulled off of streaming uh, services before. Before he just didn't like the audio quality. Yeah. 
Yeah, Diana, it's another one, and you've you mentioned your research on influencers, and it's another one in that space, isn't it? It's another layer on top of the sort of branding and updating part of the uh, matrix. It is, it is. And, you know, I, I appreciate, um, listen, I really appreciate uh, Peter's point of view on this. And I love the fact that he is speaking up. I'm really curious where this lands. Disney has had an incredible, um, incredible run, in my opinion, with new characters. Um, and they have, you know, they've, they've created some, you know, some really amazing, um, inclusive, um, you know, films. And so I'm, I'm curious about this. Um, influencers and, and using your influence in general to either, you know, deliver very open, fair, um, and, you know, uh, perspectives across a variety of, you know, of issues, I think is an important thing. So listen, I like when people speak up. I like when people use their voice. Um, and I think having a dialogue back and forth, um, that's what communications is about. Um, yeah. That's the heart of what we do, and that's what we love. Agreed. Totally agree. Yeah, so uh, Damon Jones, uh, Procter & Gamble's Chief Communications Officer, he's going to be our chair of jury for the PR Week Global Awards 2022, which are out for um, submissions now. In fact, you you need to get busy if you're going to get them in because we we are approaching the final deadline and you, you, you'll need to um, ask for an extension. So make sure you've got your best work in. But um, Damon's a fantastic communicator. He was number one on our power list in 2020. And uh, he'll be at the show in London on May the 18th. So really looking forward to that as well, getting back globally as, as an industry. And so, Diana, I reckon you know Damon pretty well from your time working with P&G over the years. Yeah, I, Damon is brilliant and bravo to you guys. You couldn't have picked a better person. I agree. Um, Frank, um, Sabrina Sanchez did a really interesting analysis piece um, last week about women's health brands on social media and how challenging it is for some of them to market because of the censorship rules. And, and it's, it's a fascinating issue and a very important one. Tell us a, a little bit about that one. Yeah, really happy she wrote about this because this is this is a very important issue uh, as more marketing goes to social media. Okay, so three-year study by uh, the nonprofit Center for Intimacy Justice showed that uh, of women's health ads, um, of the 60 startups they surveyed that focused on women's health, they pretty much all say they have faced some sort of censorship on Facebook or uh, one of its platforms, you know, Instagram for the most part. So um, in particular, we're talking about advertising for menopause, pelvic pain, postpartum health, menstrual health, sexual wellness, breastfeeding, all of these different things tend to get inadvertently flagged as adult content. And that really limits what they can do on on social media. Um, I, you know, this isn't great timing, in my opinion, uh, for social media in general, but I think particularly for Instagram, given how much of the focus in the past few months is on the mental health effects that Instagram can have uh, on young people, but especially on young women. Uh, and this is another area where advertising for products uh, that can have a positive effect on women and on young women uh, are sort of getting drowned out on these platforms. Um, and it's, it's not a great look for these social media platforms and they should work to fix it. Yeah, it impacts women's health issues much more than men's health. Diana, you're a health specialist, health communication specialist. You must have come across this in the past. What, what, what do you want um, the social media platforms to do to alleviate this? 
Well, we have made no progress here. Um, and it's, you know, it's as a as a communicator, as a marketer, and as a woman, it's infuriating. Um, I launched a brand on the platform of we need to open, um, uh, you know, a much, uh, much more honest and truthful and transparent and accurate, you know, without euphemisms, uh, dialogue. Um, I had to look up, I have to, I had to look up the date as you guys were talking. I just went on my phone and looked up the date in 2010, built up the year in 2010 with the wow. platform of, you know, we need to change this conversation. It's 12 years later. And, you know, and, and, and we had issues at that time of, um, you know, there was adverse, it was a, you know, a full, full program. And I did a lot of work in the women's health space where we would have censorship issues all the time. Um, you know, it's social media is a, a huge problem, you know, and, 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 and it goes beyond that. It's hurtful um, for women. It's terrible from a woman's health perspective. Forget about whether, you know, women's health is being researched at the same um, veracity as other, you know, uh, other other issues, other health issues. Um, but, you know, I, I think we need to take a, a, a very, very hard look at this um, and, you know, and figure out how we put humans behind, you know, some of the work around this versus just, you know, kind of algorithms. Um, yes, another example, yeah. the algos just not, you know, not being able to compute properly and yeah. it needs, needs some serious work on it, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah, that's one we get. We're going to definitely cover that and keep covering it and try and uh, lobby for some change because I think that's, uh, as Diana says, it's been far too long that's been going on and it needs to change. So, yeah, great piece by Sabrina Sanchez. Um, Frank, the CDC and travel FOMO, they've done a, an activation around that and something we're all feeling a little bit, I think. Yeah, we definitely are. I can speak for myself on that. Definitely are. Um, so this is targeting Gen Z and the millennial crowd, and it's about fear of missing out specifically with travel and getting a message across. Um, you know, you don't want to miss the trip of a lifetime because you're not vaccinated. And when you're going into a, a different country or a different city, you may have to be vaccinated to do uh, a lot of different things. So uh, the agency on this is Census. Uh, they're an ad shop. Uh, based in Atlanta and L.A., um, the the campaign also has a particular focus uh, on black millennials and black members of Gen Z. Um, again, trying to get across the message that that you want to get out, get active uh, and do things. And the only way to fully participate uh, and to ensure you can fully participate is to be vaccinated. Um, we, we've seen a local version of this in New York, too, um, you know, specifically showing off young kids, going to the movies, going to concerts, talking about how they want to do these things. Um, so, uh, you know, what I'm questioning about this mm. is that we are, you know, a year, almost a year into when most of the adult population can get vaccinated. And, um, you know, a lot of adults in the U.S. Have, are boosted uh, at this point as well. So I, I'm wondering how much breakthrough they are still seeing uh, in terms of urging people to, to get the first shot or get the second shot. It's probably more with young people than it is with adults at this point, I'm guessing. But it's still wondering how much breakthrough they're seeing. Yeah, big issues around the vaccines and travel and fear of missing out. And Gen Z, you kind of feel for Gen Z. It's got two nephews 
and kind of mm. went to college during university during these two years. And they're really they're missing out on so much, aren't they, Diana? And you know that generation. And we've we've all missed out on a lot of things. But when you're in those formative years, you know that you really can't replicate. It's very difficult. Yeah, I you know I, I it, it is it it's a tragedy. Um, it truly is, and you know it's a it's a it's a big shift in everybody's childhood whether they have the ability even to travel. Many people don't, um, uh, you know, or you know, or they're they're home from school. I mean, all of this is very very complicated. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I think uh, you know when you think about influence and you think about you know, who is influential um, and, you know, the connectivity between friends. What I have seen, you know, with the young, younger people in my life is, you know, a lot of this comes down to what's happening, you know, between your friends, you know, where, where are the people who are truly influencing you? Where do they stand? Where do they sit in terms of this? Um, you know, their community leaders, um, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're physicians, they're, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I think that there's a whole ecosystem around communications and, you know, and understanding where influence comes from. Um, my son is 10 years old and, you know, he listened like, you know, many, many young kids. I mean, he watches a lot of YouTube, um, and, you know, he was always looking up and not so much because of me, but looking up and very curious about when is the vaccine going to be approved. And he was really following this and knew exactly when it would be approved and when was he going to get it at that point. And, and not to say that, you know, he was he was swayed by YouTube in that direction, but there was conversation around that. And he saw what was happening with adults and, you know, the adults around him. So again, it's a really interesting study in influence and, and influencers, not, not online influencers, but the influence, you know, the influences of people. Yeah. It's um, been a massive theme over the two years and uh, having non-celebrity influencers, is not a bad thing in people's lives, I think. And people who yeah. you, you can look up to who might be nurses or delivery drivers or garbage truck drivers even you know it's uh, it, that's good to see finally frank um, peloton has uh, got some activist investors not surprisingly i suppose that uh, you know they're not uh, matching the uh, performance they did when everyone was in complete lockdown i guess that was to be expected but there's some investors sort of pushing them to to really do more than they are to uh, improve their business prospects yeah, that's right. So Peloton has problems, both uh, real and imagined. Um, you know, first of all, you have uh, fictional characters repeatedly just, you know, dropping dead or having heart yes. attacks after Indeed. using Pelotons in, you know, TV shows. And the latest one is uh, is uh, the character Wags from Billions uh, had a heart attack after taking a Peloton ride uh, in this weekend's episode, which is, you know, not a surprise if you've watched the show and you, you know about style. his lifestyle. Yes, indeed. But uh, anyway, moving on. Um, but in the real world, uh, they have some issues in that the activist investor Blackwell's Capital has been pushing Peloton to fire its CEO and consider selling the company uh, as its share price has plummeted over the past couple of months. It's arguing that it is weaker today uh, than it was before the pandemic began. Um, this is interesting. So they, they, if you followed Peloton in the news, they've had a lot of questions about pricing, about supply, about what they're offering. You know, all of these things that that businesses that that make products like this have. 
But uh, it's also another interesting case study of what happens to the quote unquote pandemic brands where you have them and Netflix and, this, the, you know, the shine is sort of off where it was uh, a year ago when people were more locked indoors and, you know, looking for ways to pass the time or ways to stay in shape or whatever the case is. Yeah, no, no shareholders or analysts want to see um, flats growth or, or, or negative growth, do they? So um, that's one of the, uh, there's always a downside of what goes up must come down, I suppose. But uh, yeah, interesting to see. And we, we've done a lot of stories on activist investors, and I'm sure we'll do a lot more. Diana, thanks so much for joining us. been great to chat to you and um, continued good luck with the, uh, the mission. Uh, three years in, doing a great job. And uh, we look Thank forward you. to seeing you in person very soon. Thank you both. This was such a pleasure and I hope you invite me back soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't forget, like I said, the Global Awards, you need to get your extensions sorted to get your last entries into that. Uh, Women of Distinction, same thing. The deadline has just hit this week. So if you've got a last woman to watch or Women of Distinction you want to propose, please get in touch with our team on that. Uh, the PR Week Healthcare and Pharma Awards, our inaugural awards there. The first deadline for those is next week, the 2nd of February. And the uh, final deadline is the 9th of February. So please do make sure you're working on submissions for that. Really exciting uh, event we'll have on May the 10th, which will be a half-day conference and an, a health awards ceremony. So looking forward to that. It'll be in New York City. Brand Film Awards launched last week. You've got until the 24th of Feb to get your submissions for that. And the 3rd of March is the final deadline. And our agency business report. Make sure you're working on your submission for that as well. We are seeking data, but uh, Frank, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.